Welcome to this podcast series from Review of Optometric Business. I'm Roger Mummert, Content Director. In this 20-minute session, we'll hear from Dr. Mark Wright, Professional Editor of Review of Optometric Business. Dr. Wright and I will speak about new and emerging pathways to optometric practice. We'll talk about putting data to work to grow your practice, and we'll talk about practice transitions, strategies for buyers and sellers. So in addition to the clinical opportunities, there are also new models of practice. And how does that impact whether or not, and it's a big question we hear a lot, the emerging ODs are going to buy the practices of those ODs who are looking to transition out. What's your thought on that? It's a well, sticky one. The, the baby boomers are getting older, and, and uh, the leading edge of the baby boomers has already crossed past 65, which means for the next 20 years, maybe 25, we're going to see a lot of practices hit the market, and it's going to be older doctors looking to step out. Now, the concern is that when you have a good, healthy, vibrant practice, that's an easy practice to transition to someone else. But when you have a sick practice or a fiscally insecure practice, let's say a practice that's $400,000 through the front door or less, that's sort of the edge of where it becomes valuable to, to, to pass on the practice. And the reason is, a, is an interesting one. There's not enough money in that practice to be able to support the, the buyer's loan payment and allow them to live comfortably. Too small to buy. Too small to buy. Somebody may see that as a bargain, but too small to buy. It's exactly. not like a starter home. That's exactly right. And, that, and that's, a, that's an issue because we need to make sure that people are set up for success. And when you set them up for failure out of the box, it never ends well. It's just a bad thing. Message to those emerging in practice and those in that five to seven years of practice looking to maybe acquire, what are the uh, fundamentals of building a value in a practice over time? Great question because it has incredible implications for the buyer. So let's say that somebody goes in and says, um, I'd like to work for five to seven years and, and uh, maybe somewhere down the road buy you out. Okay, What happens over those five to seven years? You're building the value of the practice. So the person who's actually eventually going to buy the practice is working against themselves, if you want to think of it that way. I've, I've, I started, if I'd have bought the practice day one, the price would have been here. But because I worked for five to 10 years to increase the value of the practice, now the practice value is here. Bidding against myself in a sense. Exactly right, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'll so, buy your house and I'll uh, five years from now and I'll take care of it and uh, make a few additions to it. <laughs> and then you name the price later. Wow, wow. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so often those situations don't work out if there's no agreement. Uh, so the key, yeah, the key is to set the agreement up front. Can we, can we agree on what the price will be or what the, the adjusted price will be because I'm helping you raise the value of this practice uh, five or 10 years down the road? And so if you can get agreement up front, then those deals work. And so then the associate begins to get a foothold in ownership from yes. the start. And is that based on dollar input or is that, to use an old term, sweat equity that they're building? Absolutely. It works all different ways. It, it, price is one issue. Uh, terms are all, is the really big issue. So do you want all the money up front, Miss, uh, Mr. Seller, or do you want us to, to work on that over five to seven years? And you pay me less, but put the difference in. I mean, there are many different ways to play that game. How often does it not work out? 
the dream of ownership and the dream of uh, profitable exit from ownership don't go, don't come together. So, so when the seller wants this price and the and the buyer gets the practice appraised and it's this price, and nobody's willing to budge, it's gonna it's gonna fall apart. So the two major issues on what's gonna cause a deal to fall apart they're really straightforward. One is either side looks at the price and says it's not fair. If either side says it's not fair and they can't resolve that, the deal will break. Yeah, it's said in, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's said in law, if you get you do mediation and both sides are angry and dissatisfied, yeah. you've done a great job. Yeah. But in your experience, uh, a, a successful sale has to satisfy both sides? Or, or both sides end up feeling that it maybe wasn't everything I wanted, but it was fair. If both sides can say it was a fair price, then both sides will walk away and it'll be good. Yeah. The second piece is, is uh, if the buy, it can be the best price in the world, but if the buyer can't buy, the buyer's credit rating is too low. The buyer has too much debt and that debt with the additional practice debt just puts the buyer over into the bank saying, no, we, we, we can't make this deal work. So either one of those two things falls out, the deal will fall apart. Are there any other prickly issues? The uh, ownership of the uh, property, the difficult employer employee who's been there for 30 years, uh, you can't get rid of, uh, any, uh, any red flags to look for? A smart banker will always look at the lease for the property and make sure that it's reasonable for the buyer. And if that doesn't happen, then that, that's a potential mine in the minefield of, of buying a practice. But you're also right that uh, sometimes the deal says, uh, okay, my spouse has been the office manager for the last 30 years. She wants to do it for another 15. So I'll sell you the practice as long as you agree in writing, in a contract, to promise her employment for the next 15 years. Well, you know, if you're a smart employer, you're never going to promise anyone employment for even a year because most states are at will, which gives you the ability if that person if their performance changes, if their, uh, if their work ethic changes, if, if, if they change as a person, medical conditions, whatever, uh, that you need to have the ability to, to, to manage your employees to be able to produce the best result inside the practice. You're talking about staff primarily here. What about associate ODs and employment yeah. contracts? Sa same thing, same thing. You, if you look at most employment contracts for ODs, they're either a 30-day contract or a 60-day contract. No longer than that. Yeah. So it will say in the front, this, this contract will renew every year if, if neither side chooses to, to walk away from it. But when you get into the details of the contract, it will generally say, the employer can say to the employee, you now have a 30-day notice and you're done. And on the other side, the employee can say to the employer, I have to give you 60 days in order to walk away. So if you're a mature practice owner, and perhaps you have associates, what should you be positioning um, and how f long before a projected sale would you recommend for those employment contracts? That's a really interesting question because that, in, in, especially in the current world today of, of PE buying practices up, has become a really hot topic because you've got people who are employees in a, in a uh, practice and maybe they were promised ownership down the road and all of a sudden the owner sells the practice to someone else and your promise is now just all evaporated. So all that hard work and sweat and, and worry and, and, and heart and soul and life you put into this practice is now gone. You're now just an employee. 
Yeah, that and it happens all the time, I would imagine. It does. It? Yeah. Uh, and the other piece of it, real estate ownership. It said that PE companies are not really looking to own the real estate. Right. Some have suggested, well, what you need to do is separate the two parts of your business, rent from yourself. Yes. But get yourself up to, not a sweetheart lease, but rather a fair market lease. Absolutely. So that once you sell and even exit the practice, you have a revenue uh, source from the uh, PE back group that acquired you. Absolutely. Now, I, if you, my favorite approach to to looking at personal finances is the concept of financial freedom. Financial freedom is when your passive income meets or exceeds your personal expenses, and passive income comes from three major sources: stocks and bonds, owning a business that generates income to you, while owning an optometry practice or an eye care practice generates income to you. So you could set it home and, and you could have employees running the practice and you get the profit from the practice. And the third, the third area is real estate. Real estate that brings income to you, not real estate that's taking income out of your pocket. Example, most people look at their home and they think my house that I live in is, is, is my asset. And the answer is no, it's a liability because it's taking money out of your pocket. You have to pay someone to cut the grass. You have to pay for your insurance for your house. You have to pay for the the, uh, the furnace blew up and it's time for a new furnace. That that money's going the wrong way. You have to pay property taxes. And if you're in a <laughs> exactly. state that uh, has high taxes and we just got capped at 10000 a year, yeah. ouch. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so, But it can be an asset if you set yourself up uh, so that it provides the income to Exactly. The so the land that you're your practice sits on and the building that sits on the land can generate income through rent to the owner. And that's, a, that's an income stream. So when you add up all those income streams, if they meet or exceed your expenses, you're financially free. That's the point that you're really trying to head towards. The beauty of that system is you can calculate that at any time during your entire career. You can calculate what your expenses are and you can calculate how much passive income you're, you're receiving. And then you can do one of two calculations. How long will it take me to hit financial freedom? Or if I increase the, uh, the percentage of income I was getting from my, my uh, investments, could I shorten that time frame? And the answer is, yeah, you, you, can, you can do either side of that equation. And, and, and it helps for your long-term planning to know when can I step away. Building wealth over time and keeping your timeline exactly. constantly reviewed. Exactly okay. right. Great. Thank you for listening. Please watch for other podcasts from Review of Optometric Business.